0: Audio.
1: Welcome to Truth Tribe with Doug Grodyce, where we seek the truth about the things that matter most through reason and evidence. For today's program, I'd like to take you backstage to the Truth Tribe studio. This is my writing study. My dog, Sunny, is often next to me. It's very disheveled, and I have no producer besides myself and the good folks at Life Audio. So, on to the title of this Truth Tried episode, Soren Kierkegaard on the Self and God. This is taken from my book, Philosophy in Seven Sentences. The sentence I chose from the Danish philosopher Kierkegaard was this, The greatest hazard of all, losing oneself, can occur very quietly in the world, as if it were nothing at all. Think also of the statement of Jesus, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Recently, I did a podcast on my book, World Religion in Seven Sentences. Before that, in 2016, I published a book called Philosophy in Seven Sentences. And the last sentence I chose to reflect on was that of Soren Kierkegaard, who is a profound philosopher of the human condition. What is the human condition? Who are we? This is a philosophical problem. It's a question of what is called philosophical anthropology. We have questions such as, what is our nature? To our essence, what is our problem? What is the good life for human beings? This is also, of course, an existential problem of being human under the sun. How do we cope with our nature? How do we address our problem? How do we embrace the good life and shun the bad? This is my theme In Philosophy in Seven Sentences, and I'm reading from page 124 of that book, all of our philosophical sentences invoke or provoke the self, but from different angles. Protagoras brings it all back to the self, which he says is the measure of all things. I measured Protagoras wrong. Socrates exhorts the self to examine itself for truth for as long as it takes. For that, he should be commended and emulated. Aristotle, our nature as human selves, is to seek knowledge. He is right. Descartes finds certainty in his indubitable awareness that he is thinking, and thus an existing being, who has the concept of an infinite God in his mind. We could find worse places to start our investigations. Pascal exhorts us to consider reasons of the heart, that aspect that knows directly and intuitively. But who was Sorin? Kierkegaard is a man who lived a short and profound life of thought and writing. Kierkegaard himself said, The day will come when not only my writings, but precisely my life, the intriguing secret of all the machinery, will be studied and studied. Kierkegaard lived a solitary and rather despairing life. His dates are 1813 to 1855. He lived in Denmark. He was a pious Lutheran, he wrote about 40 books, and there's an ongoing scholarship about his authorship. He sometimes wrote under his own name, he sometimes wrote under synonyms, and he explains some of the intricacies of this system in his book, The Point of View of My Work as an Author. Kierkegaard is often considered the father of existentialism. Let's distinguish existentialism from existential. That word means the lived experience of something, whether it's going to a jazz concert or getting married or whatever it is. Existentialism is a philosophy that emphasizes living life from the inside out instead of relying unnecessarily on abstractions and systems of thought that do not bear on the individual. It often philosophizes about concrete situations and emotions, matters of directly human existence. Now, broadly, there are two types of existentialism, the atheistic, and for that we go to Friedrich Nietzsche, perhaps the early Martin Heidegger, of course, Albert Camus, Jean-Paul Sartre, and Simone de Beauvoir. Of religious existentialists, we speak of Besides Kierkegaard, Gabriel Marcel, who was Catholic, Martin Buber, who was Jewish, and Victor Frankl, who was Jewish. And when we speak of religious existentialism, we can think of faith in a rather depersonalized way or a personalized way. And I take this from James Sire's chapter, Existentialism, in his book, The Universe Next Door, which is a superb book, a Depersonalized faith, sin, is viewed as breaking a rule. In a personalized or existential understanding, it involves betraying a relationship. Of course, it's both. Repentance, in a depersonalized faith, might mean admitting guilt. In a personalized faith, sorrow over personal betrayal. In depersonalized faith, faith is believing certain Christian propositions. In a personalized or existential faith, it's a commitment to a person. Of course, both are true. One could go on. In a depersonalized faith, forgiveness is canceling a penalty. In personalized faith, renewing a relationship. In a depersonalized faith, the Christian life is obeying rules. In a personalized faith, it is pleasing the Lord. The person. Let me emphasize that depersonalized here simply means more abstract. It doesn't mean wrong or errant. Let me quote something from Kierkegaard's journals to show he was an earnest Christian. Quote, What I really need is to be clear about what I am to do, not about what I must know. It is a question of understanding my destiny, of seeing what the deity really wants me to do. The thing is to find a truth, which is for me to find the idea for which I am willing to live and die. And what use here?" Would it be if I were to discover a so-called objective truth, or if I worked my way through the philosopher's systems and were able to call them all to account on request, point out inconsistencies in every single circle? What use would it be if truth were to stand there before me, cold and naked, not caring whether I acknowledged it or not, and inducing an anxious shudder rather than trusting devotion? Certainly I won't deny that I still accept an imperative of knowledge, and that one can be influenced by it. But that it must be taken up alive in me, and this is what I now see as the main point. It is this my soul thirsts for, as the African deserts thirst for water. Kierkegaard did not deny that we could know the truth about reality. He emphasized the subjective appropriation of truth, particularly the truth of Christianity. But he did not deny that objective knowledge was possible. That is, he was a realist, not a non-realist. And C. Stephen Evans has certainly made that point. Let's talk a little bit about Kierkegaard's thought in general. Kierkegaard can be defined against Hegelianism in his system. He said that Hegel produced this grandiose metaphysical system, but he himself did not live within it. What he meant by that is Hegel's philosophy did not give proper place to the individual. Kierkegaard was also against many of the conclusions of Hegel's philosophy, since it was certainly sub-Christian. Kierkegaard was also a critic of natural theology, or the arguments for God's existence. His claim is that God is before all of us. We need not argue for God's existence, whether he exists or not. Rather, we argue, for our existence before God. Now, I'm a great proponent of natural theology, but I still love Kierkegaard for what he did well. Kierkegaard, in some ways, was a fideist. He said, in the sickness unto death, he who first invented the notion of defending Christianity is de facto Judas Number 2. He also betrays with a kiss, only his treachery is that of stupidity. Well, Kierkegaard certainly denied natural theology. He never gave any kind of historical evidence for the reliability of the Bible. Nevertheless, he did give a kind of existentialist apologetic for the truth of Christianity based on Christianity's understanding of the human condition. You could call this a psychological apologetic, and this had a profound effect on me as a 19-year-old man in 1976. My own take is that it is better to speak of a step of faith into being a Christian rather than a leap of faith, which is how Kierkegaard is sometimes portrayed. Whether or not that image of leap is appropriate in the corpus of Kierkegaard, I will not take up. But he was, in some ways, a fideist or one that emphasized his faith, was not supported by reason and evidence. Kierkegaard was also very much against the crowd or the mass mind. He said, There is a view of life that holds that truth is where the crowd is. There also is the truth, and that in truth itself, there is need of having the crowd on its side. There is another view of life that conceives that wherever there is a crowd, there is untruth, so that even if every individual, each for himself and private, were to be in possession of the truth, yet in case they were to gather, uh, get together in a crowd, untruth would at once be in evidence. Now, of course, If everyone in the crowd believes a true proposition, then it does not cease to be a true proposition because you're in a crowd. But I hope you get Kierkegaard's point. He's concerned about going along with the crowd, not thinking for oneself in a rigorous way. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org/impact. Kierkegaard was also a critic of what he took to be the corrupt church of his day see his book, Attack on Christendom. I think Kierkegaard is far too individualistic there. You shouldn't leave the church entirely unless it's heretical. You could say, as Merald Westfall did, that Kierkegaard was a kind of prophetic philosopher. He certainly analyzed particular philosophical ideas, particularly about religious faith, Christian faith. But he was also prophetic in that he called people to follow Christ. Now, I read about Kierkegaard in a philosophy class in 1976 when I was a freshman. And I wrote a rather flippant paper against Kierkegaard because I was trying to be a good atheist, having been influenced by Nietzsche. But then I had a very odd and vivid dream in my dorm. I woke up and opened one of Kierkegaard's books. The Sickness Unto Death, one of the books that I most emphasize in the chapter here in philosophy in seven sentences. And The Hound of Heaven was really released at that point, and I realized that I was resisting God. I was engaging in what Kierkegaard called defiant despair. After I became a Christian, I think it was 1977, 1978, I read another book of his that had a profound impact on me for my calling and sense of ministry, and that's called Purity of Heart is to Will One Thing. So, let's talk about the self and God, according to Kierkegaard. According to the Melancholy Dane, the self is an unstable synthesis. It is at odds with itself and with God. He says, Sin is, before God, or with the conception of God, in despair, not to will to be oneself, or in despair to be oneself. Thus sin is intensified weakness or intensified defiance. Sin is the intensification of despair. The emphasis is on or before God, or with a conception of God. And this is how he understood defiant despair. Defiance pits itself against something. Nietzsche, in the voice, this is actually not Kierkegaard, this is me leading up to Kierkegaard, defiance pits itself against something this is from philosophy in seven sentences Nietzsche in the voice of the ugliest man in Zarathustra says but he had to die he saw with eyes that saw everything he saw man's depths and ultimate grounds all his concealed disgrace and ugliness. his pity knew no shame he crawled into my dirtiest nooks this most curious over-obtrusive one had to die he always saw me on such a witness, I wanted to have my revenge or not live myself. The God who saw everything, even man, this God had to die. Man cannot bear it that such a witness could live. And there I am quoting Nietzsche from my book. The next quote is from Kierkegaard, which had cleared the air. Socrates proved the immortality of the soul from the fact that the sickness of the soul, sin, does not consume it as sickness of the body consumes the body, so also we can demonstrate that the eternal in man, from the fact that despair cannot consume his self, that this precisely is the torment or contradiction in despair. If there were nothing eternal in man, he could not despair. But if despair could consume his self, there would be no despair. So this is how the argument works for Kierkegaard. Of course, this is a Profound and difficult book, The Sickness Unto Death, but he's working with the unique human consciousness of despair, which has to do with a disquiet with one's own self before God, and he thinks that this despair only makes sense if we have an awareness of the eternal. So this is, in a way, a kind of religious experience argument for the existence of God, and this is how I state it. One. If man did not have the eternal within him, then he would not despair. Man despairs. Despair cannot consume itself, unlike death. Therefore, the eternal is within man. The eternal with man is God's insistence, insistent presence. Therefore, God exists. This is a kind of existentialist argument for the existence of God. Kierkegaard doesn't put it that way but I think it can be plausibly rendered as such. What is the answer to this despair? Quoting Kierkegaard here, The self directly before Christ is a self intensified by the inordinate concession from God, intensified by the inordinate accent that falls upon it because God allowed himself to be born, become man, suffer and die, also for the sake of the self, as stated previously. The greater conception of God, the more self. So it holds true here, the greater conception of Christ, the more self. Now, when Kierkegaard talks about the self, he means a self created by God, a real, finite existence, and that this existence needs to become aware of itself in the presence of God, or what he elsewhere calls the audit of eternity. And he believes that if we take ourselves seriously before God, and we take our sin seriously before God as a kind of despair, then we find the prerequisites for salvation. And really, the sickness unto death is a kind of existentialist apologetic for the reality of sin and the reality of God, and also is evangelistic, that this self which is consumed but never fully consumed in his despair can only find relief through Jesus Christ. So Kierkegaard is commending Christian faith in a very relational existentialist way, but he himself was an Orthodox Lutheran, so he believed that we are delivered from sin, the penalty and corruptions of sin, through faith in our Savior, in the Lord Jesus Christ. So this has been a very short, whirlwind, I hope intellectually responsible journey through some of Kierkegaard's basic ideas. I took much of this from the chapter on Kierkegaard in my book, my book, Philosophy in Seven Sentences. I've written two of those seven books now. And I may come back and do a few of the other sentences as well. Now, I was thinking before I did this, why should I talk about something rather abstract and philosophical when there's so much crises going on in the world, so many crises, so many problems, so many difficulties, war in Israel. And I realized that as a philosopher, I try to work at the trunk of the tree, so to speak, or actually go down into the roots. So I don't want to only speak about contemporary issues, but I want to speak about perennial concerns. And this question of the self in relation to itself and the self in relation to God is certainly an ongoing, vexed, and pertinent issue. And Kierkegaard, I think, sheds a lot of light on who we are before God. This has been Truth Tribe with Doug Grotheis. If you'd like to know more about me or what I might have to offer you, please go to my webpage at douglasgrothuis.com. And if you like this rather simple, unadorned podcast where you will sometimes hear my dog bark, uh, then please tell others about it. Thank you for listening.
0: Truth Tribe is a production of Life Audio and Salem Media. If you liked what you heard today, please take a second to rate and review this podcast in your favorite podcast app so that more listeners like you can find the show. For more faith-filled, inspirational podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. There's no better way to start your day than spending time in God's Word and in prayer. Don't know where to start? We have a free daily prayer podcast created to help you do just that. The Your Daily Prayer podcast delivers a thoughtful, devotional, and timely prayer to you seven days a week. Gain inspiration, faith, and encouragement with daily messages in 10 minutes or less. To start listening now, search Your Daily Prayer on your favorite podcast app or visit lifeaudio.com.